Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Common Ground podcast. Common Ground is a core class that meets weekly at Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. This week, our guest teacher, Luke Paiva, is unpacking another parable. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, the, uh, the parable I picked, uh, I, don't, I don't know why it popped into my mind, but, uh, but it did, uh, the, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Uh, and, and we're going to read through that, and we're going to we're going to draw some good truth from that. Hopefully, first uh, one of, one of the reasons why this one uh, resonates with me is a, a couple of years ago, uh, my wife was on bed rest with our fourth. We had a surprise fourth child, uh, and then medical complications. She could only be out of bed for an hour a day, uh, and she couldn't lift our children up. We have kids that are eight, six, about to be three, about to be two. Uh, and she could, they're off for the summer. She couldn't do, she couldn't do what needed to be done. Uh, and so to get through the school year, we found out in about in March. To get through the school year, we had uh, we had family and church members who were just kind of rotating in and out, helping helping her get through the day. And then when uh, summer hit, I took over, and I would I would. I have to, you know, I have to work in the summer. I have to find something to do. Uh, I do, we were talking, I do, you know, football camps now. I coach little football camps here. But uh, I could not be gone during the day. I needed to be taking care of the kids. And I found this job uh, with FedEx. It was like a swing shift so that I could work but still sleep a little bit before taking care of the kids. And, uh, and it, was not, uh, it was not super glamorous. Uh, I drove to North Nashville. At, it was perfect for us. I could put our baby down at the time. And the boys were awesome. They are older ones. She, Johanna would tell them, my wife would tell them to go up to their beds at bedtime. And they would, which was a gift of God. Um, they would go up because I would leave. I would put the babies down at 6 and I would leave. And I would drive to North Nashville and I would, I would load FedEx trucks. And, and you just, it's amazing. It's I don't know. I felt like the Flintstones, like a whistle blows. The, uh, does anybody, okay, some people remember the Flintstones. Good. Uh, a whistle blows, the uh, conveyor belts start, and they just start pouring packages at you. And you have to identify your loading bay on stickers and get them in the trucks. Uh, and, it's, uh, and, then, and then at a certain point, the whistle blows, and the conveyor belts stop, and you go home, and you come back, and you do it again. Uh, and it was not easy work. It's not air-conditioned. It was very loud. Um, and I was sitting there at the end of a shift. I'd been there for a few weeks, and it was kind of wearing on me. It's like, this is, I have a master's degree. I am loading trucks with a, I was like, that's okay, but this is, this is, uh, this is a little different. Um, and heavier and more, it was a heavy day, I don't know why, but the heavier and more packages were coming through. And, uh, and they, they stopped the conveyor belts based on package load. So it was about time to quit, but the packages were still coming. And I'm getting, like, I'm getting packages stacked up around me. I can't get them off fast enough. And I look around. I'm the only one working. And I see a truck, and there's like six people in the truck checking the clock, drinking Gatorade, literally hiding from like a foreman in the truck as I'm just like getting buried in these boxes. And I was, I was becoming very upset. Uh, and, and, and God, I think it was clearly God, like, you know, illuminating my heart, his truth. You have found the perfect job for the hours you need. You're, you have been brought hundreds of meals by your church. You have had people come in and out of your house for three months to get you to this point uh, as a gift to pour into your life. What are you upset about? You don't know their story. 
You don't know what they're going through. And you have, this job's a gift. This job is the perfect gift you needed that you prayed for. It is money and the time you can work. And my anger really dissipated. It was really pleasant. Uh, And I thought of this parable. I, I was convicted by this parable that I had been given much and not... Um, not acted like it, not rejoiced in it, not poured that into other people's lives around me. Uh, and, and I think it's been a, a, a particularly special parable to me since then. So uh, that's why I chose this one. Let me, let me read it for you. Um, it's a little bit longer, but it's worth hearing the whole thing. Uh, it's Matthew 18, 21 through 35, if you want to follow along. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some of you may have 70 times seven. Could go either way. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Thinking about parables first, if we approach parables as um, instructions for how we are to act only, we we have missed the point. We have missed the point. The primary the primary purpose of a parable is what Jesus says at the beginning. So that you may know what the kingdom of God is like. So that you may know who your God is and what his kingdom is like. And when, when you talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the coming. The secured in Christ's atonement, death and resurrection kingdom that is coming in the last days. The new heavens and the new earth where there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sickness forever. That is the kingdom of God, and that is what we're called to be citizens of. And Jesus, throughout his parables, is helping us, who cannot see what his kingdom is like, understand it better, so that we can know what we're a part of and who we belong to. And so we need to look at this parable first, before there is application, but we'll we'll make it legalistic and a crushing burden if we don't recognize that the application comes out of knowing whose we are 
and what his kingdom is like. And so that's how I want to approach this. Setting the tone, uh, again, too, parables don't answer. He's not, Jesus isn't answering the whole gospel. This is going to help resolve a problem for a lot of people at the end. This isn't answering the whole gospel. This is answering a very specific question and, and unveiling a piece of the gospel, a piece of the kingdom of God, not the whole thing. It's very, it's very specific, specific question. Peter, I love Peter. Peter is an encouragement to me. Uh, Peter makes a lot of mistakes. And Peter, Peter has done great things already. He's the first to identify Christ as the Messiah. He's the one when everybody walks away and Jesus says, you're going to leave too? He stands up for the disciples and says, you're the, you're the holy son of God. You have the words of life. Where else would we go? That's Peter. That's awesome. But Peter is also the guy who doesn't get it, right? We don't, none of us fully get it until we're in heaven. But like we get to see this play out in Peter's life. He sees Jesus' glory open up and be unveiled in the transfiguration uh, just a little bit before this. And, and he sees this glory of the kingdom. He's, we should build tents right here. This is amazing. We should make this what we do. Like, let's build tents for this glory to dwell in here and everything is great. Um, but that's not, that's, he wasn't, it wasn't for right now. It was a picture of what was coming. Uh, and then he is also, the, the disciples coming into this parable are arguing, hey, who's, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's the best? How do we get to the top of this kingdom? Because they're thinking the kingdom right now. They're thinking in earthly terms. How do you get to the top of this thing? And then Jesus is teaching, teaching, and what comes right before this is Jesus teaches on church discipline. He teaches on if your brother sins against you and doesn't repent, go to him and talk to him about it. If he still doesn't repent, bring another person, go and talk about it. If he still doesn't repent, bring the whole church, go and talk to him about it. And if he still doesn't repent, cast him out. But the discipline of God is always to bring you back into the fold in repentance, to come back and say, you cast me out, I finally saw there's no life apart from Christ. Let me come back in, will you forgive me? And this is where Peter's asking this question, well, how many times do I have to forgive someone in the kingdom? How many times do I have to forgive? And Peter being Peter, uh, I love Peter, he's like, how about seven times? That's not like, that's like Peter being like, aren't I generous? Because the Pharisees said after three times, forget about it. So Peter's like, hey, how about uh, twice as much plus one? How about seven times? Um, and I think, I think this is a point of, of Jesus' humor, I, I think. But, uh, but it's almost as if Jesus says, I, I'll see your double plus one, <laughs> and I'm going to raise you complete times complete times complete. Right, the, the 77 or the 70 times 7, it's not to get to a number. 7 and 10 are numbers of completeness. And completeness times completeness times completeness equals a lifestyle, equals a heart condition. And so Jesus is like, you don't get it, Peter. You're still not seeing the kingdom. So let me tell you what the kingdom is like. Uh, and so there's, there's four things I want us to see predominantly. Uh, you know, you could just... You could go forever in this. I'm trying to work on limiting them. Uh, my students will tell you, like, These, this is a three-day lesson. I don't under, we're still talking about this. I was like, there's lots to talk about. Uh, I'll, try and, I'll try and cut it to four. One, um, starting with why we start with parables, to, to see God for who he is. There is a king, and he is going to settle accounts. 
We have a king and God who will one day settle accounts. The entire Bible is going to that. And this will help you so much reading through the scriptures. If you'll keep this in the back of your mind, the entire Bible is going to the new heavens and the new earth. The day of the Lord, the day of judgment when Christ returns and accounts are settled once and for all. And justice is poured out. And in Christ, you receive all of the mercy and glory of Christ's righteousness and perfection. And the accounts are settled, and that's it. The new heavens and the new earth, and apart from Christ, you receive all the justice for your actions, which were sinful and not what you were made for. But that day is coming. A real king is coming to settle accounts, and that's how this starts. Um, You will understand the Bible best if you do that, and it is terrifying and amazing, depending on if you know Christ or not, that there is a king coming to settle accounts. Um, Because... In that day of reckoning, we're all debtors. Every last one of us is a debtor. And, uh, and, and many of you may have heard this before, but I think it bears repeating. This 10,000 talent debt, okay, 10,000 is one of the largest whole numbers. I think it is the largest whole number ever describing monetary value in, in Scripture. 10,000, again, you have that 10 and 1,000. You have these huge numbers of completeness, this heaviness to it. And a talent is the largest denomination of money. Depends where you look, 15 to 20 years wages times 10,000. Uh, one talent, 15 to 20 years of a laborer's wage times 10,000. Uh, I played around with it, and uh, if you made it gold, say we're being exaggerated, we're being paid in gold, uh, a talent, I, for, I forget what it was, but I was correctly doing the math, uh, 12 ounces, Troy of gold, blah, blah, blah. It's about $12.1 billion today. $12.1 billion. But that's not the point. The point is insurmountable debt. Because in the kingdom of God, we all have unpayable debt. And he comes before... Have you ever been forgiven a debt? I I mean, like anything. I I have joy when, like, it rarely happens, but hey, that person ahead of you in line paid for yours too. That's $10 I don't have to spend. This is amazing. I have a lunch... And it didn't cost me anything. Somebody forgave me the $10. Uh, one of the ones I was thinking about this when I, uh, I was in the Marine Corps Reserve and uh, got out in 2003, like 10 days before the Iraq War. Um, and my last few months of the reserve, I had a bad knee. Uh, and I was, I was in rehab and I couldn't drill. And so I was getting these doctor's notes and, and then my contract was up. And then, what, nine years later, went to buy a house and, and put in for a VA loan which I qualified for, and they said, mm, you, didn't, you didn't pay your debt. You, you missed those last few drills. Uh, you, didn't, you don't have the requisite number of days in service to, re- to be eligible for the VA loan. And, I, I mean, I sent them every piece. I faxed, I faxed, I think we bought a fax machine <laughs> for this purpose, to, like, keep faxing. I, I, don't, I didn't have a scanner, I guess, to PDF email it. Just faxing and faxing and faxing doctor's notes. I had all the records, all my... Enlistment, all my schools I went to for the, all of my time in service, just facts and facts. No, you don't qualify. You did not satisfy your debt. And I took everything and I, I don't, I don't I, out of frustration, maybe trying to, I don't know, I sent them everything again in one stack. I was like, but here's everything that they've already told me no. Uh, there's no way with a VA home loan you don't have to have a down payment and there's no PMI. That's the only way we were getting a house. It was the only way we were getting a house. We were not getting a house without it. And... 
And I sent it in, and somebody different sent an email that just said, you're approved. Wow. It, it was like being forgiven a debt. I, there was nothing I could do about that. If the federal government says no, the answer is no. And somebody just said, you're approved. It was glorious. Um, and this is, this is, we're cheating ourselves as a people if we don't see our sin for what it is. If we don't understand the kingdom of God for what it is. If we don't see that the king is coming to settle accounts and we all have unpayable debt. We don't understand what we have in Christ. We don't understand what that cross has done. The unpayable debt has been paid on our behalf by God himself. You can't fully rejoice in that if you don't see the debt first. And so there's a real king and he's really coming and there's a real debt. And if we don't recognize that, we're robbing ourselves of joy. And, and what I hope we're going to build to, we're robbing others of joy if we don't live that kind of life, if we don't share that with the way we live. Uh, but there is good news. There's real forgiveness. There's real king and a real debt and there's real forgiveness. And it's really glorious. Um, So verse 26, he fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. No, you won't. These are the pleas of a desperate man who's about to lose everything. Him, his wife, his children, his property, they're all about to be sold into slavery. There will be nothing left of him. And he's not getting out of slavery. None of them are getting, you could get out of slavery in this day and age. But he doesn't have 12 billion and he's not going to have 12 billion. Nobody's got 10,000 talents. Um, and, and it's not going to be him. It's not going to be him that has 10,000 talents to get out of this. He will not pay it out, but he's desperate. And he's asking the wrong thing. I think this is testimony to his heart condition. He's not asking for mercy. He's saying, I'll get, I'll get out of this. Just, just let me get out of this. I'll earn my way out of this. And to some degree, we're all doing that with God all the time. Just let me make it right and everything will be okay. No, no, you won't. I don't think you understand your debt. But there's something better if you'll move past that. There's actually something better. There's a merciful king. Ask him for mercy. I tell my kids all the time. I hope they hear it. Benjamin, I hope you hear it. If you ask Jesus for mercy and forgiveness, what's his answer every time? Yes. 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 And, and he doesn't even ask, but he gets it. This wasn't on his mind, but the response is, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. It wasn't even asked for. But he was, that word, that word, this is one of my favorite parts of it. I, I'm doing distance seminary and I have to do Greek and it's really hard, but there are really beautiful things about learning it. I cannot pronounce this word and I could not even find because it's a, a version of a verb. I couldn't even find someone pronouncing it online. Um, splangnistes. Splangnistes. It's right in there somewhere. Um, having been moved with compassion. Having been moved with compassion. Here's, here's the beauty of a word study when you do this. It's only used four times in the New Testament in that form. Only four times in the New Testament do you hear someone Having been moved with compassion, do something. It's here in this parable when this king forgives the unforgivable debt of his servant. 
and the three other times are Jesus. And it's in Mark 1, verse 41, when a leper is begging him to be healed. Jesus is moved with compassion and heals him. It's in Mark 9, 22, when a father is begging for his child to be healed from an unclean spirit. And it's in Matthew 20, 34, when Jesus heals blind men who are crying out for mercy to Jesus. This is, you have something here when you recognize the intentionality behind this word choice in this lesson. Your king is moved with compassion to forgive you. I find this to, to be beautiful, and I find this to be, I mean, this, is, this is really one of the heartbeats of this thing. Um, you know what the kingdom is heaven, of heaven is like? It's your king being moved with compassion to forgive the unforgivable debt that you never could have done anything about. That is the kingdom you are a citizen of. That is the king you serve. Know your God. Know your kingdom. And then live it out as a joy. Um, you know, so what do, you, what do we do about this? You have this real, true introduction of what the kingdom is and what it looks like. Um, now what do you do? There's always application to the Bible. It's just never the first point. It's not a list of things to do to be okay. It's a response to the glory that you already have. That's, what, that's when you come to the, like, how can I use this? What can I do with this beautiful revelation that my king has been moved with compassion to forgive what I could have never earned? You live like it. You just live like that's true. You just live and rejoice in that. And it will have, there are real people out there and they really need to hear this. And they really need to feel this and see this. And we get to testify to God's glory. And we get to partake in God's glory when we live in this and we forgive others, we get to partake in the work of God that he has given us in, in infinite value, in infinite quantity. We get to be a little part of that when we bring true forgiveness to other people. So, but uh, I want to talk about the, the end first. Because the end, it, this, this parable ends hard. Jesus says... Out of the parable, Jesus speaking to his disciples says, So my Father in heaven will do to you this prison, this payment, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That is a hard saying, and we need to look at that in the whole context of Scripture. And then I want to end on a lighter note. like that. So I'm going to go to the end here, but then I want to come back to just before the end of, of some really beautiful ways that we can, we can live this out day to day. But let's address that. Um, so there's a reality here. A hundred denarii is not nothing. Okay, that's about a third of a year's salary for a laborer. A hundred denarii is not just like, oh, he owed him a quarter and he choked him and threw him in jail. No, no. It, uh, it, you know, if you make 15 bucks an hour, it's about 12 grand. Right? About 12 grand uh, on an eight-hour day. And they actually work 12-hour days. So I don't know. I don't know what it is. But it's not nothing. But it's also not $12 billion, All right? There's a real, this is a real forgiveness he was being called to. It's not just like, oh, forget about it. I had 10 of them. No big deal. It's like, no, there's actually cost. But it, it's, it's approaching the world around you with that kingdom perspective. 
I know who my king is. I know who I serve. I know what he's done for me. I can show you that. It's not easy, but I can show you that. That's what we're called to in this. Um, and, and again, this is a shocking response. If you don't treat your brother like this, God will do the same to you. Let's look at that in the totality of Scripture, though. If you pull anything out of Scripture by itself, you can make a mess of it. It's why we're called to be in the whole world, word all of the time. And this thing, you may have heard it before, uh, let Scripture interpret Scripture. If Scripture says it can't be one thing somewhere else, like in one place, say Ephesians or John, it says salvation can't be this, then in Matthew, you can't make salvation something different. You can't have them contradicting each other. You have to choose the interpretation that matches the whole story. So I I did pull these two out to remind us. This isn't about keeping, earning, or losing your salvation. This being thrown in prison to pay your debt off. This is not about your salvation. Salvation is secure in Christ. And we already know this. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. This is a great one to commit to memory if you ever are working on that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Your salvation does not hinge on how you live it out. Again, that would be falling back into that, oh, I'll work out of that 12 billion debt. I'll work out of that 10,000 talent debt. I'm good. I'll work out of it. Everything will be okay. I'll set everything straight. Um, if you thought your salvation hinged on that, that would be falling into that mindset that, that Jesus is telling us, this is not what the kingdom of God is like. All right? um, and John 10, 28 and 29, it's not about once you have salvation, blowing it and losing your salvation. According to Jesus, that's impossible. Jesus says in John 20, 10, 28 and 29, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I read that. I don't know how anyone gets to the tragic point of thinking they can lose their salvation based on how they're performing. Um, Because that would be, I mean, you'd have to say, I'm greater than God. I'm more powerful than God and Jesus. And my actions have overridden his truth. Okay? So I want you to hear that. I want you to commit those those verses to memory. Um, You've been saved by grace. It's not works. It's a gift of God. And no one is taking it away from you because no one can take it away from Jesus. That's, that's, that's salvation defined by the Bible. So if that's salvation defined by the Bible, we have to understand this parable in light of that definition that's already been given to us. So what is this prison he's talking about? We're talking about the nature of a saved person. We're talking about what the kingdom of God looks about. This is about sanctification. Okay, And I've got a couple of quotes from people here that I think are really helpful in starting to understand this because everybody agrees this is a hard parable. Uh, one guy, uh, Dr. R.T. Kendall, uh, he was a disciple of Martin Lloyd-Jones. I think he took over Martin Lloyd-Jones' church afterwards. He said, this is the most soul-searching parable there is. This is one of the hardest parables you're going to dive into and look at yourself through and look at the kingdom of God through. Um, and um, you know what he says about this is salvation is not dependent on works, but salvation does change people. An unforgivable debt left the servant with only one choice, fall on his knees and ask for mercy. But ingratitude forgets, and gratitude remembers. This is the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. 
the broken body and shed blood of God himself for my redemption. And we, what is the teaching? I think it's in Matthew. Um, what, when should you not come to the Lord's Supper? When, when you have either unconfessed sin or when you have something, an unforgiven debt between you and a, a, a brother or a sister. Uh, and, and I think this is, this is why you're not, you're not rightly remembering what Christ has done for you if you're still in a condition of thinking in, in these non-kingdom of heaven terms about what forgiveness is and about what you have. How can you remember what Christ has done for you when you can't even get past a human paltry, or not paltry, I mean, a human example. They hurt. The human ones hurt. But, but in light of the kingdom of God, we can we can, with his help, forgive uh, those who are asking for forgiveness. Uh, and, and it becomes more complicated when nobody's asking for forgiveness, but this is still uh, rightly understanding what you have in God and what you're able to do in light of that. Um, and so this, this remembrance of what Christ has done for us is a huge, huge portion. And when you deny yourself remembering what Christ has done for you, you are putting yourself in a horrible prison. When you are not rightly looking to God for who he is and what he's accomplished, you're in a dark prison. And they, and they say, uh, I think it gets a little misused and a little drifting away from Christ-centeredness, but it, it is true. You're setting yourself free when you forgive someone else. Not because it's all about you feeling better and having a burden lifted off yourself, but because you are then you are, you sh- if you're doing it in Christ, you are rightly seeing him for who he is. And you are rightly seeing your salvation for how magnificent it is. And you are free of that burden that you were put on yourself to lose sight of that. Um, Paul David Tripp has a, another good saying uh, related to this. Uh, your salvation not only brings God's acceptance, but a new heart softened by grace and capable of new thoughts and desires. You can forgive other people. Because God has made you new. You're different than the rest of the world. You're different than you were before. You're not a slave to sin. Uh, and, he, and he's referencing Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. When we rightly see the kingdom of heaven, we remember that he's our God and we're his people and we have nothing to fear and we have nothing but joy to give to other people because our God has set all things right and forgiven all debts in Christ. And and so we're free and capable to rejoice in that and bring it to other people. Uh, This is, I always think of this. I'm not sure how it's, it's been interpreted different ways by different people. This is from Chronicles of Narnia. I I love them. Um, But I I really think of this at a point in the last battle, the final book, where they're essentially going to heaven. They're dying and going to heaven, but it's the new heavens and the new earth. It's the last days. And the, these, you know, mythical people and the, Pevensies are all duking it out, and they're getting thrown into this barn where the evil God... They're great books, read them. Uh, So they've moved on, and they've moved into Aslan's country. 
Aslan is the God Christ figure. In Aslan's country, the real Narnia is the new heavens and the new earth. But the dwarves are in there and they can't see it. They're in their own prison. They're grumbling and they can't see it. And here's a, here's a quote from observing them. It's like they're, you know, observing them. What's wrong with them? You know, what's wrong with them? And Aslan raised his head and shook his mane. Instantly, a glorious feast appeared on the dwarf's knees. Pies and tongues and pigeons and trifles and ices. And each dwarf had a goblet of good wine in his right hand. But it wasn't much use. They began eating and drinking greedily enough. But it was clear that they couldn't taste it properly. They thought they were eating and drinking only the sort of things you might find in a stable. One said he was trying to eat hay. And another said he had got a bit of an old turnip. And a third said he'd found a raw cabbage leaf. And they raised golden goblets of rich red wine to their lips and said, Ugh, fancy drinking dirty water out of a trough that a donkey's been at. Never thought we'd come to this. But very soon, every dwarf began suspecting that every other dwarf had found something nicer than he had. And they started grabbing and snatching and went to quarreling till in a few minutes, there was a free fight and all the good food was smeared on their faces and clothes or trodden underfoot. But when at last they sat down to nurse their black eyes and their bleeding noses, they all said, Well, at any rate, there's no humbug here. We haven't let anyone take us in. The dwarfs are for the dwarfs. I I remember, I don't think I've ever seen that any way other than just these people sitting in their own self-made prisons, turned in on themselves, unable to see the beauty and the glory that's around them. And what they have. And uh, I believe that's an, a, an artistic representation of what Christ is saying here. Like you, you do when you turn in on yourself. Though, though saved in Christ your salvation will never go anywhere. Because the scripture testifies to that. You do read through the Psalms. There are lots of times where people are. You feel so distant from me God. Where are you? Why can't I enjoy your goodness? Um, and sometimes that's, that's just a trial. That's just a hard time in life. And sometimes we put that on ourselves. And I, when we harbor vengeance, when we forget who God is and what his kingdom is like and what he's done for us, um, we forget all the good gifts that we have. And, uh, and unforgiveness is one of the, forgiveness is so vital to the gospel. It is a king settling accounts once and for all that could not be paid and forgiving you that debt. To lose sight of that is like putting yourself in this prison um, where you cannot enjoy or see or notice or perceive the good things that you have. Uh, and I, I, I think, I, I don't know if that's what he was thinking about, but I, I think it's a really good representation. Uh, and then concluding here, to 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 how do we... How do we go out and do that? It's still hard. It's still hard. What are the ways we can go out and actually live this truth out? Now that we can rightly look at what this truth is, how how can we live this out? Um, I I think two things, uh, two things really help with this. One, uh, see see Peter for who he is and, and see our fellow creatures, our fellow man for who they are. And when we rightly see them, when we rightly see the kingdom and we rightly see our fellow man, 
then, then this becomes a far easier, greater task, uh, greater glorious task. Uh, you know, Peter, uh, side note, I think this is one of the testimonies of the truth of the scriptures. Peter was a leader in the church until his martyrdom. Uh, he, was, he preached the sermon, converted 3,000 people in one day, the first mass <laughs> conversion of Christianity. He, uh, he is the rock that Christ built his church on. But man, he, I think he messes up more than any other apostle, and it's all accounted for in Scripture. He had the authority and the power to strike that stuff out. And there it is, just laid out through Scripture. Peter, the ridiculous screw-up, who loves Jesus and is forgiven and redeemed by Jesus. He didn't paint himself as this superhero with no errors. There's, there's just the real Peter in there. And I think we can really be encouraged by that. Peter's a believer. Peter knows, loves, believes in Jesus. Jesus is Peter's Lord and Savior. He has declared that. And he still struggles and fails. And he's not losing his salvation. He's growing and seeing God for more of who he is and pouring that more into people's lives each time. This is not going to be a perfect endeavor. It wasn't for Peter. It won't be for us. But that doesn't mean it's over. That just means be encouraged. See your God for who he is. And rejoice in it. And move forward in that. You know, and as we are encouraged by Peter, let's see other people that way. If we can be encouraged because Peter made mistakes and grew and learned from them, Let's be encouraged that people who are making mistakes around us can learn and grow from it. We have Peter. We're being encouraged by Peter doing this. Let's, let's see this in other people. Let's tell this truth to other people through our actions and our words. I don't think it should ever just be your actions. I don't think you should ever just be a really nice, forgiving person and let them figure out why. I think this should be like, hey, I really forgive you. And it's hard, but I really forgive you. You know why? Because Jesus forgave me everything I never could have done, and that's an offer for you too. Like, let this is the, an evangelistic life, an evangelistic heart. This is bringing the gospel to other people with your actions and your words. Tell them why, or else you're you're cheating them the best part of it. You're cheating them the best part of it. And last Greek here, where there's two things with this. That servant, I hadn't noticed this before, but that servant asks for mercy almost identically to the way that the one forgiven much asked for, for mercy. Forgive me. Please have patience with me, and I will pay you back. When we hear our words repeated back to us, normally that should like, oh, oh, I just, oh, I... I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know what? I actually have a, a bigger debt. And I, was, I know exactly how you feel. I was begging. I wasn't even begging for mercy. I was going to try and pay it back and it was impossible. I don't know what I was going to do. I'm so sorry I treated you that way. Let, hey, thank God we have a forgiving king uh, who teaches us and allows us to take part in what he's doing through forgiveness. But he doesn't hear it. He doesn't recognize it. It's heartbreaking. He's confronted with the very same words of need in, in a situation that's nothing, night and day from his situation. And can't, he's not moved with compassion. 
and, and, and the kingdom, citizens of heaven are moved with compassion because our king was moved with compassion for us. Uh, and one of the words, again, the, the, the word used there in the Greek, sundulos, for fellow servants, translated fellow servant, sundulos, it's just a compound word, soon with, doulos, slave. And that with, I like that with, and I look for that with, because that's how Paul always talks about union with Christ. He, Paul made compound words up to describe how good it was to be a part of Christ. Soon, soon Christos, with Christ. Everything, with, 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 union with Christ. Our fellow humans, believers and unbelievers alike, there are with slaves. We, we are one. We are soon doulos. Every, there are only two types of people in the world. Everybody is a slave. You are either a slave to sin and death and destruction, or you are a slave to Jesus Christ and life and truth and glory forevermore. That's the only types of people there are. We're all in this together. We are all soon doulos. And I love Scott. One of my favorite things, he's, he's, I think I've heard him say it twice. And I love it. I wish he used it more. But Scott will say, like, he was in a job interview early on. They're like, hey, what are your future goals? I hope I'm getting this right. What are your future goals? And he's like, well, I want to go to heaven and take as many people with me as possible. And he's like, and my interview ended shortly after that. Because uh, I think it was a secular job. Uh, yes. That is, that is what we're doing here. We are going to heaven. There is a day where all accounts will be settled and all things will be made new, and in Christ, we will partake in all the forgiveness and glory that could ever be imagined. We're all going to that day. And so in our living that out in the people around us, and our rejoicing in that truth in the people around us through our forgiveness of others, we are with them. And we are either with our fellow slaves to Christ, building each other up and celebrating and proclaiming the glories of God, or we're with our fellow slaves who we once were, but for the grace of God, we would have been too. And we are, we are showing them and calling them to come into this glorious kingdom with us. And so we can, because we have it guaranteed, we can absolutely bring it to other people. Why would we not? Why would we? We don't want to see anybody. Anybody. I can't, there's not a soul on this planet ever was or ever will be, that in the final days, we would see go to hell and be like, yeah, that's what you get. All we will know is like, thank you, God, for forgiveness. Thank you, God, for forgiveness. That's for everybody, and we should be living that out and proclaiming that to people through our actions every day. Uh, this is not, uh, and this is just you know bringing this home, this is not a grinding, scolding, yoke of burden do this treat people this way or you will not be okay this is a a beautiful boundary marker and a call to celebrate who you already are and to to bring it to other people to offer it to them to draw them in through sharing what you know this infinite gift that you know sharing it and pouring it into others that's what this parable is teaching us just exactly who our king is and what he's done. He didn't just forgive our debt. He put on our flesh and our pain and our brokenness and our sorrow and our suffering. He perfectly lived out and praised and worshiped the truth of God the Father 
And then he gave his blood to pay our debt. Not forgive it, pay it. The only thing that could have paid it in full, his blood, and he willingly gave it. That's our king who is coming again. How much more so can we now participate in shouting that to the world through our actions and our words, through our forgiveness, and and knowing that every good deed God gives us is actually to do the good works he's prepared for us to walk in, like forgiving other people, is, is actually in the end for our joy. So that we can, through our participation of what he is doing on a smaller scale, we can better taste his goodness. We can better taste his glory. Um, just like when we come to that table and we remember what he's done, that it's his body broken for us and his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's go out and proclaim that in our actions and our deeds. That's that parable in 40 minutes. I think maybe just the final thing then, just when you're reading through Scripture, just remember, it's showing you who God is. And because of that, anything we're called to do is a celebration and a, and a participation in just the goodness of what we already have. And if we'll approach Scripture and we'll approach life in those terms, we just have greater enjoyment and greater access of who God is. All right. and I'll, I'll close us in prayer. Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope you tune in next week. If you have any questions, please feel free to leave a comment for us. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and subscribe. Have a great week.